Section 17 of The Natural History, Volume 7. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jack Ball. The Natural History, Volume 7, by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 17, Book 34, Chapters 9 to 18. Section 17 of The Natural History, Volume 7. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jack Ball. The Natural History, Volume 7, by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 17, Book 34, Chapters 9 to 18. Chapter 9. Which was the first statue of a god made of brass at home? The origin of statues and the respect paid to them. But after some time, the artists everywhere applied themselves to the representations of the gods. I find that the first brass image which was made at Rome was that of Ceres, and that the expenses were defrayed out of the property that belonged to Spurius Cassius, who was put to death by his own father for aspiring to the regal office. The practice, however, soon passed from the gods to the statues and representations of men, and this in various forms. The ancients stained their statues with bitumen, which made them more remarkable that they were afterwards found of covering them with gold. I do not know whether this was a Roman invention, but it certainly had the repute of being an ancient practice of Rome. It was not the custom, in former times, to give the likeness of individuals, except of such as deserved to be held in lasting remembrance on account of some illustrious deed, in the first instance, for a victory at the sacred games, and more particularly the Olympic games, where it was the usage for the victors always to have their statues consecrated. And if anyone was so fortunate as to obtain the prize three times, his statue was made with the exact resemblance of every individual limb, from which circumstance they were called iconicae. I do not know whether the first public statues were not erected by the Athenians, and in honour of Harmonius and Aristogiton, who slew the tyrant, an event which took place in the same year in which the kings were expelled from Rome. This custom, from a most praiseworthy emulation, was afterwards adopted by all other nations, so that statues were erected as ornaments in the public places of municipal towns, and the memory of individuals was thus preserved, their various honours being inscribed on the pedestals, to be read there by posterity, and not on their tombs alone. After some time, a kind of forum or public place came to be made in private houses and in our halls, the clients adopting this method of doing honour to their patrons. Chapter 10 the different kinds and forms of statues. Statues at home with cuttresses. In former times, the statues that were thus dedicated were clad in the toga. Naked statues also, brandishing a spear, after the manner of the youths at their gymnastic exercises, were much admired. These were called Achillean. The Greek practice is not to cover any part of the body, while, on the contrary, the Roman and military statues have the addition of a cuirass. 
Caesar, the dictator, permitted a statue with a cuirass to be erected in honour of him in his forum. As to the statues which are made in the guard of the Luperci, they are of no older date than those which have been lately erected covered with a cloak. Mancinus gave directions that he should be represented in the dress which he wore when he was surrendered to the enemy. It has been remarked by some authors that Elatius, the poet, had a statue of himself erected in the Temple of the Muses, which was extremely large, although he himself was very short. Equestrian statues are also held in esteem in Rome, but they are of Greek origin, no doubt. Among the Greeks, those persons only were honoured with equestrian statues who were victors on horseback in the sacred games, though afterwards the same distinction was bestowed on those who were successful in the races with chariots, with two or four horses, hence the use of chariots with us in the statues of those who have triumphed. But this did not take place until the late period, and it was not until the time of the late Emperor Augustus that we had chariots represented with six horses, as also with elephants. Chapter 11. In honour of whom public statues were first erected, in honour of whom they were first placed on pillars, when the rostra were first erected. The custom of erecting chariots with two horses, in honour of those who had discharged the office of praetor, and had passed around the circus in a chariot, is not of ancient date. That of placing statues on pillars is older, as it was done in honour of Simonius, who conquered the ancient Latins, to whom the Romans by treaty gave one-third of the spoil which they had obtained. It was in the same consulship, that the rostra, or the beaks of the ships, which had been taken from the Antiates when vanquished, were fixed to the tribunal, it being the year of the city 416. The same thing was done also by Caius Julius, who was the first to obtain naval triumph over the Carthaginians. His column still remains in the forum. I am not certain whether this honour was not first conferred by the people on Elminutius, the prefect of the markets, whose statue was first erected without the Trigeminian gate, by means of a tax of the twelfth of an as per head. The same thing, however, had been previously done by the Senate, and it would have been a more distinguished honour had it not had its origin on such frivolous occasions. The statue of Attus Navius, for example, was erected before the Senate House, the pedestal of which was consumed when the Senate House itself was burnt at the funeral of Publius Claudius. The statue of Hermodorus also, the Ephesian, the interpreter of the laws which were transcribed by the Decembers, was erected by the public in the Comitium. It was for a very different and more important reason that the statue of Horatius Coelis was erected, he having singly prevented the enemy from passing the Sublician Bridge, a statue which remains to this day. I am not at all surprised that the statues of the Sibyl should have been erected near the rostra, even though three in number, one of which was repaired by Sextus Iavius Taurus, Aedio of the people, and the other two by M. Messala. I should have considered these, and that of Attus Navius, to have been the oldest, having been placed there in the time of Tarquinius Priestus, had there not been in the capital the statues of the preceding kings. Among those we have the statues of Romulus and Tatius without the tunic, as also that of Camillus, near the rostra. The equestrian statue of Marcius Tremulus, clad in the toga, stood before the temple of the Castus, him who twice subdued the Samnites, and by the capture of Anagnia delivered the people from their tribute. Among the most ancient are those of Tullus Cloelius, Lucius Roscius, Spurius Nautius, and C. Flucius, near the rostra. 
all of whom were near assassinated by the Fidonates, when on their mission as ambassadors, it was the custom with the Republic to confer this honour on those who had been unjustly put to death, such as P. Junius also, and Titus Coruncanius, who were slain by Teuta, Queen of the Illyrians. It would be wrong not to mention what is stated in the Annals, that their statues erected in the Forum were three feet in height, whence it would appear that such were the dimensions of these marks of honour in those times. Nor must I forget to mention Cnaeus Octavius, on account of the language used by the Senate. When King Antiochus said that he would give him an answer at another time, Octavius drew a line around him with a stick, which he happened to have in his hand, and compelled him to give an answer before he allowed him to step beyond the circle. Octavius being slain while on the embassy, the Senate ordered his statue to be placed in the most conspicuous spot, and that spot was the rostra. A statue appears also to have been decreed to Terasia Caia or Fioritia, a vestal virgin, the same too, to be placed wherever she might think fit. An additional honour, no less remarkable, it is thought, than the grant itself of a statue to a female. I will state her merits in the words of the annals, because she had gratuitously presented to the public the field bordering on the Tiber. Chapter 12. In honour of what foreigners' public statues were erected at home. I find also that statues were erected in honour of Pythagoras and of Alcibiades in the corner of the Comitium, in obedience to the command of the Pythian Apollo, who, in the Samnite War, had directed that statues of the bravest and wisest of the Greeks should be erected in some conspicuous spot, and here they remained until Scylla, the dictator, built the Senate House on the site. It is wonderful that the Senate should then have preferred Pythagoras to Socrates, who, in consequence of his wisdom, had been preferred to all other men by the god himself, as also that they should have preferred Alcibiades for valour to so many other heroes, or indeed anyone to Themistocles, who so greatly excelled in both qualities. The reason of the statues being raised on columns was that the persons represented might be elevated above other mortals, the same thing being signified by the use of arches a new invention which had its origin among the Greeks. I am of opinion that there is no one to whom more statues were erected than to Demetrius Phalerius at Athens, for there were 360 erected in his honour, these being reckoned at that period no more days in the year. These, however, were soon broken to pieces. The different tribes erected statues in all the quarters of Rome, in honour of Marius Gracidianus, as already stated but they were all thrown down by Scylla when he entered Rome. Chapter 13. The first equestrian statues publicly erected at Rome and in honour of what female statues were publicly erected there. Pedestrian statues have been, undoubtedly, for a long time, in estimation at Rome. Equestrian statues are, however, of considerable antiquity and females even have participated in this honour. For the statue of Clyelia is equestrian as if it had not been thought sufficient to have her clad in the toga, and this, although statues were not decreed to Lucretia or to Brutus, who had expelled the kings, and through both of whom Clyelia had been given as a hostage. I should have thought that this statue and that of Cocles were the first that were erected at the public expense, for it is most likely that the statues of Attus and the Sibyl were erected by the Tarquinius and those of each of the other kings by themselves respectively. 
had not Piso stated that the statue of Clielia was erected by those who had been hostages with her when they were given up by Porcena as a mark of honour. But Annius Facialis states, on the other hand, that the equestrian statue, which stood opposite the Temple of Jupiter Stator in the vestibule of the house of Tarquinius Superbus, was that of Valeria, the daughter of the consul Publicola, and that she was the only person that escaped and swam across the Tiber, the rest of the hostages that had been sent to Porcena having been destroyed by a stratagem of Tarquinius. Chapter 14 at what period all the statues erected by private individuals were removed from the public places. We are informed by El Piso that when M. Aemilius and C. Popilius were consuls for the second time, the censors P. Cornelius Scipio and M. Pompilius caused all the statues erected round the forum in honour of those who had borne the office of magistrates to be removed, with the exception of those which had been placed there, either by the order of the people or of the Senate. The statue, also which Spurius Cassius, who had aspired to the supreme authority, had erected in honour of himself before the temple of Tellus, was melted down by order of the censors, for even in this respect the men of those days took precautions against ambition. There are still extant some declamations by Cato, during his censorship, against the practice of erecting statues of women in the Roman provinces. However, he could not prevent these statues being erected at Rome even, to Cornelia, for instance, the mother of the Gracchi and daughter of the elder Scipio Africanus. She is represented in a sitting position, and the statue is remarkable for having no straps to the shoes. This statue, which was formerly in the public portico of Metellus, is now in the buildings of Octavia. Chapter 15. The first statues publicly erected by foreigners. The first statue that was erected at Rome at the expense of a foreigner was that of C. Aelius, the tribune of the people, who had introduced a law against Sthenius Statilius Luenius for having twice attacked Thurii, on which account the inhabitants of that place presented Aelius with a statue and a golden crown. At a later period, the same people erected a statue to Fabricius, who had delivered their city from a state of siege. From time to time, various nations thus placed themselves under the protection of Romans, and all distinctions were thereby so effectively removed that statues of Hannibal even are to be seen in three different places in that city, within the walls of which he, alone of all its enemies, had hurled his spear. Chapter 16. That there were statuaries in Italy also at an early period. Various circumstances prove that the art of making statues was commonly practised in Italy at an early period. The statue in the cattle market is said to have been consecrated to Hercules by Evander. It is called the Triumphal Hercules, and on the occasion of triumphal processions, is arrayed in triumphal vestments. And then besides, King Numa dedicated the statue of the two-faced Janus, a deity who is worshipped as presiding over both peace and war. The fingers, too, are so formed as to indicate 365 days, in other words, the year, thus denoting that he is the god of time and duration. There are also Etruscan statues dispersed in various parts of the world, which beyond a doubt were originally made in Etruria. I should have supposed that these had been the statues only of divinities, had not Metrodorus of Sepsis, who had his surname from his hatred to the Roman name, reproached us with having pillaged the city of Valencia for the sake of the 2,000 statues which it contained. It appears to me a singular fact that, although the origin of statues was of such great antiquity in Italy, the images of the gods 
which were consecrated to them in their temples, should have been formed either of wool or of earthenware, until the conquest of Asia, which introduced luxury among us. It will be the best plan to enlarge upon the origin of the art of expressing likenesses when we come to speak of what the Greeks call plastis, for the art of modelling was prior to that of statuary. This last, however, has flourished to such an extraordinary degree that an account of it would fill many volumes if we were desirous of making an extensive acquaintance with the subject, but as to learning everything contained with it, who could do it? Chapter 17. The Immoderate Prices of Statues In the Aedileship of M. Scaurus, there were 3,000 statues erected on the stage of what was a temporary theatre only. Mumius, the conqueror of Achaia, filled the city with statues. He who at his death was destined not to leave Darius' daughter, for why not mention this as an apology for him? The Luculli also introduced many articles from abroad, yet we learn from Mucianus, who was thrice consul, that there are still 3,000 statues in Rhodes, and it is supposed that there are no fewer in existence at Athens, at Olympia, and at Delphi. What living mortal could enumerate them all, or of what utility would be such information? Still, however, I may perhaps afford amusement by giving some slight account of such of those works of art as are in any way remarkable, and stating the names of the more celebrated artists. Of each of these, it would be impossible to enumerate all the productions, for Lysippus alone is said to have executed no less than 1,500 works of art, all of which were of such excellence that any one of them might have immortalised him. The number was ascertained by his heir, upon opening his coffers after his death, it having been his practice to lay up one golden denarius out of the sum which he had received as the price of each statue. This art had arrived at incredible perfection, both in successfulness and in boldness of design. As proof of successfulness, I will adduce one example, and that of a figure which represented neither God nor man. We have seen in our own time in the capital, before it was last burnt by the party of Vitellius, in the shrine of Juno there, a bronze figure of a dog licking its wounds. Its miraculous excellence and its perfect truthfulness were not only proved by the circumstance of its having been consecrated there, but also by the novel kind of security that was taken for its safety. For, no sum appearing equal to its value, it was publicly enacted that the keepers of it should be answerable for its safety with their lives. Chapter 18. The Most Celebrated Colossal Statues in the City As to boldness of design, the examples are innumerable, for we see designed statues of enormous bulk, known as colossal statues, and equal to towers in size. Such, for instance, is the Apollo in the capital, which was brought by M. Lucullus from Apollonia, a city of Pontus, 30 cubits in height, and which cost 500 talents. Such, too, is the statue of Jupiter in the Campus Martius, dedicated by the late Emperor Claudius, but which appears small in comparison from its vicinity to the theatre of Pompeius, and such is that at Tarentum, 40 cubits in height, and the work of Lysippus. It is a remarkable circumstance in this statue that, though, as it is stated, it is so nicely balanced as to be movable by the hand, it has never been thrown down by a tempest. This, indeed, the artist, it is said, has guarded against by a column erected at a short distance from it, upon the side on which the violence of the wind required to be broken. On account, therefore, of its magnitude, and the great difficulty of moving it, Fabius Verucusus did not touch it when he transferred the Hercules from that place to the capital 
where it now stands. But that which is by far the most worthy of our admiration is the colossal statue of the Sun, which stood formerly at Rhodes and was the work of Charis the Lindian, a pupil of the above-named Lysippus. No less than 70 cubits in height, this statue, 56 years after it was erected, was thrown down by an earthquake. But even as it lies, it excites our wonder and admiration. Few men can clasp the thumb in their arms, and its fingers are larger than most statues. Where the limbs are broken asunder, vast caverns are seen yawning in the interior. Within it, too, are to be seen large masses of rock, by the weight of which the artist steadied it while erecting it. It is said that it was twelve years before the statue was completed, and that three hundred talents were expended upon it a sum raised from the engines of warfare which had been abandoned by King Demetrius when tired of the long protracted siege of Rhodes. In the same city there are other colossal statues, 100 in number, but those smaller than the one already mentioned. Wherever erected they would, any one of them, have ennobled the place. In addition to these, there are five colossal statues of the gods, which were made by Briaxis. Colossal statues used to also be made in Italy. At all events, we see the Tuscan Apollo, in the library of the Temple of Augustus, 50 feet in height from the toe, and it is a question of whether it is more remarkable for the quality of the metal or for the beauty of the workmanship. Spurius Carvilius also erected the statue of Jupiter, which is seen in the capital, after he had conquered the Samnites, who fought in obedience to a most solemn oath, it being formed out of their breastplates, greaves, and helmets, and of such large dimensions it may be seen from the statue of Jupiter Latiaris. He made his own statue, which is at the feet of the other one, out of the filings of the metal. There are also in the capital two heads which are very much admired, and which were dedicated by Consul P. Lentulus, one of them executed by the above-mentioned Charis, the other by Decius. But this last is so greatly excelled by the former as to have all the appearance of being the work of the, one of the poorest of artists. But all these gigantic statues of this kind have been surpassed in our own age by that of Mercury, made by Xenodotus, for the city of Arverni in Gaul, which was ten years in being completed, and the making of which cost 400,000 sesterces. Having given sufficient proof there of his artistic skill, he was sent for by Nero to Rome, where he made a colossal statue intended to represent that prince, 110 feet in height. In consequence, however, of the public detestation of Nero's crimes, this statue was consecrated to the sun. We used to admire in his studio not only the likeness in the model of clay, but in the small sketches also, which served as the first foundation of the work. This statue proves that the art of fusing precious brass was then lost, for Nero was prepared to furnish the requisite gold and silver, and Xenodotus was inferior to none of the ancients, either as a designer or as an engraver. At the time that he was working at the statue for the Araverni, he copied for Dubius Avitus, then the governor of the province, two drinking cups, chased by the hand of Calamis, which had been highly prized by Germanicus Caesar and had been given by him to his preceptor Cassius Silanus, the uncle of Avitus, and this with such exactness that they could scarcely be distinguished from the originals. The greater, then, the superiority of Xenodotus the more certainly it may be concluded that the secret of fusing precious brass is lost. Persons who possess what are called Corinthian bronzes are generally so much enamoured of them as to carry them about with them from place to place. 
Hortensius the orator, for instance, who possessed a sphinx, which he had made, which he had made Verus give him when accused. It was to this figure that Cicero alluded in an altercation which took place at the trial, when, upon Hortensius saying that he could not understand enigmas, Cicero made answer that he ought to understand them, as he had got a sphinx at home. The Emperor Nero, also, used to carry about with him the figure of an Amazon, of which I shall speak further hereafter. And, shortly before this, see, Cestius, a person of consular rank, had possessed a figure which he carried with him even in battle. The tent, too, of Alexander the Great was usually supported, it is said, by statues, two of which are consecrated before the temple of Marsulta and a similar number before the palace. End of section 17. Recording by Jack Ball.